Good morning and uh, welcome back to the MindWorld podcast. Uh, this is the podcast where we talk about everything new and innovative in the natural resources industry. And uh, we like to, to focus on digital transformation, but also all of the technologies that touches that world uh, now and into the future. As we get started, uh, as always, allow me to firstly thank MindRP, who is the primary sponsor of the MindRP podcast. MindRP is a company that is in the digital solutions division of Epiroc, the global uh, mining OEM. And uh, MindRP specializes in, the, in application software solutions for uh, mining, aimed at increasing operability between uh, mining, technical, and financial, and ESG domains, and so on. Uh, they make mining better. So if you're interested to learn more about MindRP, go and have a look at www.minerp.com. And today we're going to be talking about something really important, namely safety technologies in mines. I think the whole ESG discussion is really big and everyone focuses on the environmental part. Uh, but of course, safety in itself is enormously important. And, uh, and that's also a growing area of specialization. And uh, as such, we have a guest today that that has something uh, to say in this domain. And our guest is Anton Lorenz. Anton is the CEO of Boyko Electronics, a South African company. And uh, Anton, welcome to the Mind War podcast. Good morning, MP. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. So as we look around us today in the mining industry, uh, everyone is talking about ESG. And of course, that includes looking at safety, but, but there seems to be a lot of attention on the social part and the environmental part. And, and safety uh, is, is almost kind of assumed by now. But I want to ask you, Anton, is that true that, that we can assume that safety uh, just happens on mines? Um, or, or, uh, or is this still something that mines have to develop in uh, a lot? Uh, MP, I think the reality is we, the mining industry is operated by people. People are strange beings. So I think, MP, you're 100% right. Safety should be a way of living, but it's also a actual uh, a conscious decision to drive safety. It doesn't happen by itself. If you look at the mining industry is, is occupied by human beings, um, and we battle to get people to wear their safety hats, as an example. So human behavior has a massive, massive impact on success of safety at um, the mining industry. So, so how did you get to, to be the CEO of Boyko? Uh, and, and how did you become interested in, in this field specifically? Okay. So as a youngster, we grew up in a little town called Kriel, which is in the middle of the coal fields um, in, the, the, in the Mpumalanga area. And my right. dad... Um, at the time of his retirement was the safety manager at one of the power stations. So I grew up in a community driven by safety and in the mining industry. So you can almost say that it's been in my blood my entire life. And so did you, uh, how did you then move into, uh, into a position where you could become the CEO of Boyko? So I think based on life and, and, and life experiences, I, I migrated from being an employee of Anglo Coal, the good old days, to being on the private sector and entrepreneur. And I think through various experiences and absolutely the right opportunity at the time, 
presented the, 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 the chance or the, the start of Hoika Electronics back in 2006, and then really had an opportunity to offer a collision warning system to Anglo Coal at the time. All right, so it started out uh, with Anglo Coal also as your first client. Many years ago. All right, now, now you used the, the term collision warning system there. Uh, many terms are being thrown around. You know, you, we, we hear terms like proximity detection systems and collision warning and collision prevention and uh, collision avoidance and so on. These aren't all the same, are they? Uh, no, they're not. I think if you if you go back into the the, the history, um, in terms of where we are today from from a, a, a detection perspective, the first systems that was available in the market was really collision warning systems, and that goes back to the early uh, 20, 25, 26s. And the intention at the time was to assist operators and pedestrians in a warning system when you're too close to other vehicles. Um, and as time developed and as the industry learned lessons and as technology developed, the, the acronyms changed from CWS to CAS, Collision Avoidance Systems. Um, currently, it's, it's Collision Prevention Systems. So I think that initially, CWS was very specific to the warning system. We mm -hmm. these days, the, the CPS, as it's referred to as a Collision Prevention System, is really an overall approach that deals specifically with the different technologies and the different deployment based on a mine's risk assessments and significant risk. Yeah, because I guess you know, not all mines have the same requirements. You know, it depends on whether it's highly mechanized or, or otherwise, and the different kinds of equipment, you know, whether it's the commercial fleet that's, that, that's at risk or whether they've got huge loading and hauling equipment. I assume these things don't use the same kinds of technologies or do they? Um, absolutely. I think there's, if you, if you look at the, the, the current offering to, to industry, there's, there's multiple layers of technologies available, and they're also very specific in the application. So if you had to take a, 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 a typical conventional hard rock mine versus a, um, a mechanized hard rock mine, the, the applications is totally different, requirements are totally different, and there's not a single silver bullet technology out there. So it really comes back to to every specific mine's requirements, what they need um, from a risk perspective, as well as operational perspective, to make sure that you actually deploy and implement a, a system that adds value. So I think that's that's the most important part. You've, there's got to be a value proposition in deploying all of these systems. Also, the sense is there's so many systems, it just gets too much. Uh, that's true, that's true. As you were talking, my thoughts also went to, you know, from proximity detection and, and warning. So whether that's two uh, machines, you know, getting into a close proximity or a machine and a person, or I guess, uh, you know, a, a person and a dangerous area could also be uh, a, a pro proximity. But does that necessarily mean that, that you also need to know where things are? So our location uh, tracking and proximity detection technologies necessarily always deploy together? Um, unfortunately, not. I, I think from a, from a digitalization perspective, there's real value in being able to say exactly where a person or an object is. But if yeah. you go back to when we started, it was 
the systems were initially designed to be totally standalone, to say that if there's a man and a machine and there's a potential of an incident, you need to work irrespective of infrastructure. Right. I think that's really the, the big difference when you compare the, the CPA solutions versus the tracking solutions. You need the infrastructure specifically for the, for the tracking or the location systems. Okay, so with, let, let's say a relative position proximity detection uh, solution, you, you know, let's say you've got two machines, you can have all the infrastructure you need on the machine itself. You don't need to have external beacons and, and uh, networks and so on installed because it's not about the absolute positioning of that machine in space, but much more uh, about its relative uh, proximity to other uh, machines in the environment or, or people. Absolutely, Arab correct. It's, it's all about relative position. I, I noticed also that um, you know there there seems to be a body that uh, that emerged called the Earth Moving Equipment Safety Roundtable. I know that there's an acronym for it, but I've got no idea how to <laughs> pronounce that. Um, and on your website also, you talk about uh, the fact that you that your technologies are adequate or or designed to to operate at level seven, eight, nine. Or, or levels seven, eight, and nine. Can you tell us a little bit more about what makes that special? That's a very good um, question. So I, I think that the background is, is Immerst has been around long before PDS was. And Immerst okay. is actually an organization that's trying to build the best guide, best practices globally to support the mining industry. And in all the research and the work they did is they, they put the hierarchy of controls together from a level one to level nine where the administrative controls lives in level one to six, and then the PDS um, functionality lives in level seven, eight, and nine. And then right. simply put, a level seven system gives a operator or pedestrian a warning of, of a potential threat. At a level eight, we actually advise the operator um, to say, you know, we're able to detect a, a threat in the front, so slow down or stop. And then mm -hmm. ultimately at a level nine uh, engineering control, where the sensing technology from a PDS perspective interfaces with the control system of the actual vehicle, whereby it's brought to a, uh, a controlled and a safe stop or slowdown, whatever the current or that specific scenario um, requires. Requires. Okay. So, so in, you know, in, in layman speak, uh, it would be like, on the one hand, my car having some kind of sensor that tells me there's something in front of me to it being able to uh, to suggest because there's something in front of you, you'd better start slowing down or don't change lanes now because there's something you know approaching you from behind on your right or something like that. And then lastly, that level nine would be that the car actually stops by itself or, okay. uh, or from changing lanes or suggests yeah. very uh, <laughs> sternly that I shouldn't. <laughs> Is that more or less correct? Uh, absolutely. I think you've chosen a, a very good comparison. So if you take a, a motor vehicle's cruise control, in the good old mm -hmm. days, you put the cruise on and you drove at 120. But today's with this adaptive cruise control, it gives you a warning to say that there's a vehicle in front. And ultimately, if you don't slow down, it does it for you. So that's mm -hmm. literally, as you've said, a, a good comparison between seven, eight and nine. So as you look at the mining industry today, are they adopting that level nine kind of because that's almost automation, right? Or that, that approaches safety automation, at least, if not operational automation. Absolutely. I think what we've seen is um, from, from a South African perspective, uh, in, initially, 
the deployment of or the adoption of PDS was was driven by safety constraints. It's it's changed a bit to be driven by legislation. But ultimately, I mean, in this country, we've had mines that's been running level nine for better part of five or ten years, and at different levels of level nine. And ultimately, it is, in my opinion, the foundation for automation. Um, if you're able to control the vehicle, then you're you're halfway there. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, means that there's a lot of interaction required between this technology that figures out where I am and, and, and what's close to me and the actual control technology on the machine, which is something that's built by the OEM. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and that means that you guys either work very closely with the OEMs or, or they hate you. <laughs> which one is it? I, th I think it's a, it's a combination of both and anything in between. Um, so what we've seen with the new generation of OEMs and new generation of equipment, yeah. the interfacing is a lot easier. But I think one of the, the best things that, that came out of Immerst and the, the work done by the committees was the definition and, and definement of the ISO 21815 standard. Because that okay. literally explains how does any PDA supplier in the world talk to any OEM in the world to make okay. sure that they clear um, and lines of accountability and this clear um, international standard on how the system actually incorporates with each other. Because, you know, some of the first things that I thought of when I thought of this interaction between, let's call it third party automation and control and the telematic solutions and so on is, you know, you always think of, ah, but is this going to avoid the, the warranty or the guarantee on, on the equipment? But there's actually something much more important and that is who takes responsibility you know is there some kind of liability uh, that that now falls to to you as a third party supplier that would have otherwise fallen to the oem or is it all still on the uh, on the operator how, how do you approach the boundaries of liability here oh, i think that that's very treacherous ground and quite tricky um, and mm. it depends on the actual installation at the time so i think what the ISO standard also is defined, apart from the, the practical communication layers and protocols out to communicate between each other, it also defines those specific boundaries. So from a PDS perspective, as we do the sensing, and I'd make a recommendation to say there's a potential threat, I, I relay that information to the OEM through the interface, while mm -hmm. at the same time also giving that uh, warnings or, or PDS information to the operator. So ultimately, our opinion is that uh, the operator is, is, is first and foremost liable. Um, mm -hmm. That's his job. That's what he's got trained. He's got to manage that. And ultimately, the, the PDS is the last line of defense. So we've got to empower the operator, give him as much information as possible so he can make the right decision at that point in time. I guess then that makes it accurate that you talk about PDS as proximity detection and not so much collision avoidance yet, um, you know, in the sense that... that from your perspective, at least, you are really concerned about making sure that the operator is aware of what's going on around them, and then your technology can be combined with any other levels of technology in order to arrive even at that final intervention control level. And absolutely. Um, if I refer back to your sample about the car, so if you take your car and the reverse camera, there's yeah. the PDS layer of sensing the other threat that's overlaid right. on top of the camera. So it's multiple technologies for different scenarios that can just gives so much more inform information to the user or the operator to make an informed decision. So, so let's just quickly talk a little bit, Techie, 
I don't want to you know, go too deeply into that, but there are so many technologies in this field from GPS and satellite, which of course doesn't work so well underground, <laughs> to LIDAR and, and even wearable technology and RFID chips and smart visions and, uh, and, and augmented reality and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From, from Boyko's perspective, uh, what options have you uh, or do you specialize in? So if you look at our current offering, so we've developed from the 2006 to be a mainly an underground supplier to where we today also offer a solution on surface. So we're, we're one of few in the world that plays in the underground coal space, underground hard rock space, the surface space, the pit space within smelters and refineries. We've got a deployment at a coal terminal. So in able to do that multiple technology solutions, we've adopted a GPS on surface combined with RFID, combined with time of flight and ultra wideband. But I think ultimately at its core, Boyka is probably known for our ability and our offering around low frequency technology. And in our sense, um, we're one of few in the world that offers that. And in our opinion, that's really the best technology fit for purpose for detecting people in very close proximity to equipment. So if you look at low frequency stuff, and, and, and here I'm really showing my colors, I, I don't really know this technology very well, but isn't that limited to fairly short distances? You're absolutely right. So the limitations with, mag with low frequency in essence is magnetic field. So okay. two different suppliers have chosen different frequencies for various reasons, but the reality is the, the power consumption for magnetic field is exponential. So you get to mm -hmm. a point in time where there's a sweet spot where even if you put in another 20 or 30 watts of power, um, you just cannot extend the range. So if you look at all the work that EMAS has done, um, 80 to 85% of accidents happen on takeoff. So one of the things that they refer to specifically in their best practices is a thing called motion inhibit. So you want to be able to detect a person in very close proximity. And from mm -hmm. an ALIF perspective, close proximity is probably 15 meters or closer from a vehicle. Well, I guess that's, you know, uh, specifically underground, that is, uh, it, you know, it, it's still a significant amount of distance that you have to, to react. Absolutely. So if you look at all the work that industry have done, both through EMIST, um, which is Australia-based, and the Middle Scouts of Africa, they've contracted an organization called VDG, Vehicle Dynamics Group, which is part of University of Pretoria, to simulate tests in different scenarios. We've successfully stopped vehicles traveling at 16 k's an hour with our technology. And what you see in underground is, is most of the mines operate first and second gear. So it's usually around 12 to 15 kilometers per hour. So one of the biggest challenges that the industry faces is all the false positives or the negatives or the false warnings. So you don't want to have bigger zones where people are get annoyed all the time and end up being complacent. And I guess that's, that's where I wanted to go as we kind of near the end of our discussion here, and that is the adoption of, of these technologies by the actual operators. I remember you know, once reading an article about train drivers and how they were, uh, how they would start ignoring signals after a while, and then they had to not only receive a warning, but, but manually cancel the warning in order to make sure that they are actually aware of it and that they show that they, they are aware of it. Do you find that maybe all of the false positives or, or even false negatives that you described and all of the other things that the operators now have to give attention to. Isn't there some level of risk of overloading the operator with too much information and then 
getting the opposite of a safe environment. Absolutely. Um, so, so one of the things that we've really, really adopted and we honestly we believe in is, is, is what we call the integrated approach. Because ultimately technology is, it's, it's the last line of defense, but you've got to get the user to adopt it. If you, if you don't get his buy-in, don't educate and get him to understand what this is about. I've got customers with, that's adopted it very well where the system is highly available, highly reliable. And on the other hand, I've got customers that spur it in and the, the operator is just not interested. And then they become complacent and be, actually becomes a bigger risk, as you've said. So if you look at the typical uh, implementation then, you mentioned, you know, you've been around for a while. How long does it take for a typical, let's say a typical underground uh, coal mine from talking to you and, and, and signing a contract to to getting value? Is this is this a three-year project that we're talking about here? Does it entail a lot of training and so on? Or is it a fairly simple solution? So our approach would be, it, it should be as simple as possible. Because the second you make it difficult for the customer, they, they don't support the project. People like easy things. From an approach would be is we would always deploy a level seven and eight system first, do massive amount of data capturing, do a review, present that to the customer so they can actually understand what the impact of the technology would have been. So as we said before, that the, the hardware at its core can be deployed across multiple customers, but a coal mining that's got a six meter board versus a coal mining guy that's got an eight meter wide board. They would have different zone settings, as an example. So we would come in with a recommendation based on our, all our lessons. And then we would run this for two, three, four, five, six weeks and represent to the guy and say, listen, if we improve this or change that, there would definitely be a reduction in false positives and then a potential um, increase in production. So mm-hmm. coal mine project should take less than a year, worst case. Okay, so there's a you kind of work with the client to uh, on on a value journey to to get them to where they want to be uh, without having to wait for three years before they get anywhere. Absolutely, absolutely. And typically, what we've also seen is from a customer perspective, most of the time or all of the time, this should be driven by risk assessment and significant risk. And yeah. all of the time, your primary fleet would be your highest risk. So that's where we would start, so that there's immediate benefit in deploying the solution. Anton, sounds like uh, Boyko is doing a lot of good work. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on MindWalk. Thank you so much. Time has just uh, flown by as it normally does. Um, and uh, yeah, so as we come to the end, I always ask uh, my guests, what's on your bedside table? And so what are you reading? <laughs> Thank you, MP. Yeah, so I'm currently busy with a book called Tech Adjacent, which my author of Mushambi Mutuma that talks about tech and the quick revolution of technology. I mean, you, you can't keep up. So you've got to be very close to what's happening without necessarily knowing all the detail of it. I mean, Boyko yeah. is electronics, it's a technology company. So we've got to be abreast of what we're busy with. So very, very interesting read. Oh, sounds, sounds great. We'll be putting that on our website as well. So as we go and um, distribute the podcast in Yanri, who's our editor she will make sure that uh, that all of the books that that our esteemed guests reference are are available so you can all just go to uh, com and you'll find that anton thank you so much for your time and all the best uh, as you go into the last bit of of 2022 can you believe it and then with uh, all the new plans in 2023 maybe thank you very much it was an absolute pleasure talking to you